0: Welcome to the Garage Podcast, presented to you by the Young Adults Group at Salem First Baptist Church. Thanks for tuning in to hear this week's message from Pastor Tyler Hankey. All right, friends, if you're no takers, this is week two in our series on defense against the dark arts. I'm going to laugh every time I say that title because it's the best one I've ever come up with. So here's what this is about. This is a series on apologetics, and it's all about taking good ideas to combat bad ideas. As you... As we think about this, your goal is to defend what you believe. You need to be able to have answers for the things that you believe because if you start talking about the Bible and people are like, why do you believe it? And you're like, I don't know. It just seemed like a good idea. That doesn't help anybody. So you need to be able to say, I believe that we're gonna rise from the dead because our king did. Here's why. I believe that the Bible is a reliable source of information. Here's why. Here's why I have hope. And if you can't do that, That's something that you need to remedy. And so that's the goal of this whole series, is that we would give you hope, that we would give you answers. And where I want to start this morning is the idea that this was not something that we created as human beings. The idea that we would defend is not our idea. It's not like we sat there and we're like, man, we've got some really good ideas. We should defend them. The Bible specifically says, your God specifically says, you need to defend the faith. These are ideas that you need to defend, So you don't get to haphazardly, lazily, apathetically hold your faith. If you do that, I'm gonna argue you're in the wrong. This is something that you gotta care about and have answers to and study and contend with, which I will show here in a second. The Bible says, and this is what we went over last week, that your life should look so different that other people, non-Christians, ask you why. So again, your dose of conviction for the morning, if no one has ever asked you why you look and act and sound different, are you actually acting different? If there's nothing different between you and the culture of the world, I'm not trying to be mean, but what's going on? If you are freaking out just as much as everybody else, if you are as depressed as everybody else, if you're as worried about the future as everyone else, then you've missed something of the hope and power of God. So you should look and feel and sound different than the culture. And so we talked about death and loss and suffering and pain and waiting and uncertainty and how one, that can lead to deepening relationship with God, but more than that, it leads to an opportunity to explain why you approach all of those differently. But the thing is about last week, those were all reactive. So everything that we talked about last week, that's people asking you a question and you giving an answer. The question that I wanna ask this week is, should you be proactive? We learned how to be reactive. Does the Bible call you to be proactive in this idea? And the answer is absolutely yes. And it's not a good idea, this is actually a command. So as you look at the proactive movement of your life into non-believers life, into the the darkness of the world, where are you actively pushing against bad ideas? I want to ask you a question. Here's here's where I'm coming at this from. When you think about evil, think about evil people, think about evil movements, think about evil actions, evil ideas. Do they ever stop on their own? Does evil ever stop naturally by itself? Across all of human history, evil moves naturally. It doesn't stop on its own. It is always stopped by someone good. Evil is stopped by good. Evil ideas are stopped with good ideas. Think about this. If evil naturally stops on its own, why do we have so many cops? Our nation, just our nation, spent $129 billion last year on cops. Because here's the lie that you're fed. Human beings are naturally good. You hear this all the time. And societies naturally evolve to form safe communities. Do you actually believe this? Because I don't see it anywhere. I don't see that statement being proved correct anywhere. When I look at the world, here's what I see. I see natural decay of society. I see evil getting away with whatever it wants. It's why we've got to spend 129 billion on cops. It's why we got to spend 51 billion on correctional facilities and it's why we need to spend or 86 billion on the courts. So our justice system, I know that it's not perfect, but we've got to spend upwards of $300 billion just to correct our garbage behavior. And I don't mean to be mean, but here's another dose of conviction. When you start sinning, when you start breaking certain rules, you're like, I don't break rules, I'm speeding. Okay, you're driving. How much money do we need to spend on radar? And you're Like some of you are like, oh shoot, Tyler, don't look at me, don't look at me, don't make eye contact. You know, guys, I'm not trying to be mean, we know that we will naturally move, unless corrected by God and corrected by law, we will move to decay, naturally. And here's the thing, let's, take, let's just take America off the table for a second. Look at the world. Because it's only first world America and the West that's arguing that societies naturally evolve to form good, safe communities. We're the only ones. Because if you look at the rest of the developing world, Why does the UN need to build a massive panel to scour the world looking for human rights violations? Why are women not naturally protected? Why are children not naturally protected? See, if you are only sitting in an America first mindset, if if this is all you know, what you know and feel and experience is not normal. If you go around the world, ladies, you have nothing. Kids, nothing. It is only the strong that survive, it's only those that have the weapons that survive and make the rules. So why when I look at the world do I see human rights violations all across the board? It's because evil always moves ahead. It's always progressing forward and not stopping. Why? As a Christian you have a unique perspective and this helps you understand how we're gonna help the world because evil is Its source is in Satan, its source is in demonic powers and they never stop, they don't sleep, they don't take a day off, they're always moving and they're on a timeline. So all of you know when you're doing certain jobs whether it's school or your work or whatever, there's your normal pace of work and then there's my bosses like breathing down my neck and there's that that panic like those of you that have a bunch of papers that are all due tomorrow. Like there's, there's the work that you're gonna do tonight and it's very different than what you did the previous week. You're like, I got to get my crap together. Satan is in that mindset all the time because Satan has read the rest of the story. So, your enemy, and I'm going to talk more about where your enemy comes from and the source of all of this evil, but your enemy is on a time crunch because he knows he's got limited time. So, if your enemy knows that he's going to lose, then what's the one thing he's going to do? Wound God. If he knows he's going to lose, he's not working to defeat God. Satan doesn't, he's not under the delusion that he's going to win. Satan knows that he's going to lose. And so the only thing that he can do for a a sub win is to hurt you and hurt God. And so as he scours the world, stealing and killing and destroying and bringing about horrible, evil, demonic ideas, you are the ones that advance against this kingdom of darkness. You are the ones that advance truth when there's only lies. You're the ones that bring peace when there's chaos. You're the ones that bring justice when there's injustice. That's your job. So yes, do we need to have answers when people ask us questions? Yes, and that's a beautiful thing. And that's usually very philosophical and it's a lot of fun, it's very intellectual, but we need to advance against evil and it's a direct command from your king. So let's look at this together. Some of you are like, so as we, go, as we go to how we figure all of this out, where's your big problem? Like, where are we focusing our energies? Let's start first with bad ideas. You need to be prepared to fight. Why? Because the bad ideas are already here. I mentioned a big one last week. There's this evil, pernicious idea that Earth matters more than humans. Where do we see this? It's the idea that resources are diminishing and we're gonna lose them. And so here's, here's the, the subtle idea. Resources are important, here's the next step. Resources are dwindling, and here's the question, what's causing them to dwindle? Oh, humans are. What's the conclusion that the world has come to? Humans are bad, let's get rid of the humans. Like this is the sick world that you live in. And if you're like, man, I'm I'm all for the environment, that's fine, so am I, that's that's, that's cool. But set that aside, because it's twisted. That idea has morphed into something horrible, that the environment is so to be prized that we need to diminish the number of humans on Earth. Think about this, you know why this happened. Paul tells you exactly why in Romans. They worship the created rather than the creator. Human beings without God have fallen so in love with Earth that they've said humans are the evil ones. So God has said, I want to advance humanity. I want to order the earth. I want to subdue it. And I want to live life with you. And so the demonic says life is horrible. Let's get rid of humans. Let's have less babies. And now we've got dozens of countries around the world in a population crisis. Meaning there will be a day in your lifetime if if God tarries and he doesn't come back, when you're seniors, when you're senior citizens at the rate we're going, there will be no one to take care of you. You will be sitting in nursing homes with one aid to 50 people. So you're gonna need to wait for some young person to come over and wipe your butt because no one else is there and you can't do it yourself. We're gonna need someone to give all the medication to all the people. We're gonna need someone to protect others because there's no young people left. Social Security, no one's paying into it. It's gone. At the rate that we're going, guys, our biggest problem is not that we have too many humans is that we don't have enough. Now where does that idea come from? It's demonic. That idea is straight from the pit of hell. The human beings are worthless, valueless, and so we need to get rid of them because the only thing they're doing is hurting the plants and the animals. And God's like, I love those, I do, I created them, but you matter more. Human beings are made in God's image and we are to subdue the plants and the animals and live, yes, in harmony, but you're the ones with the greater value. And the demonic idea is that you have no value and we need to get rid of you. Guys, the demonic ideas, they're already here. Let me read something to you. This is 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2. It says that the Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Let me read that again in case you missed that. The Spirit clearly says, meaning God has made this known to you that in later times, certain people will abandon the faith. What faith? Christianity. And follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. So where's the problem initiate? It's in demonic spirits, but where? What location? The church. Now, I don't mean to freak you out, like you don't need to be afraid of each other. Here's what you need to do. You need to be so in love with God and aware of what Scripture says that when someone in here comes up with a garbage idea you're like okay no uh uh-uh if it smells like smoke where's it coming from hell and so as you recognize bad ideas you've got to pull people into good ideas so there's a danger friends there's a danger that bad ideas from demonic powers can get in your head not possession I'm not saying that your mind is warped, I'm saying that ideas come and they're small, they start small, and they build and they grow and they take over. Where is this coming from? Ephesians 6 says this, and please hear me, if you get nothing else from what I'm saying today, get this, our fight, let me say this again, our fight, it's expected and known that you're in a fight. Who with? Our fight is not against flesh and blood. You're not fighting humans. You think you are because you can see them, but you're not fighting humans. Our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against dark powers, against rulers of this dark world, against spiritual forces in the high places. If you're a Christian and maybe you've grown up in a church community where no one ever talked about Satan, they didn't talk about demons, they didn't talk about angels, they're all real. This realm is real and it hates you. And it's bringing forth ideas that are toxic and evil And they dominate church communities. For example, the one that Timothy was in. So Paul's teaching this young man. He's probably about my age. And he's like, Timothy, you need to understand something got into your church. Do you know what it was? So in this realm, this context of spiritual warfare, he says, here's the idea that got into your church. Marriage is too hard, therefore we need to get rid of it. So the church that Timothy was leading was struggling with the same thing that the Corinthian church was struggling with. And here was the simple idea. There was a number of people that were getting married and then they would talk about their marriage. People were like, hey, you're married, how's it going? And they're like, holy crap, this is hard. Like my wife, she's kind of annoying. My husband, he's kind of a jerk. Like, I, like we only had rose tinted glasses for one another, but now that we're sharing a bed, I really don't like them And then all the young people made this assumption. Marriage is hard, therefore, I don't want it, but sex is awesome, so we should keep doing that. And so the church that Timothy was leading was struggling with a bout of sexual immorality because marriage, hard. Sex, not hard. Super fun. Let's do that. And you're like, how in the world could that idea really infect the church? Seriously? Seriously? Seriously, is our culture not struggling with the idea that sex is super fun and marriage is hard, therefore let's not do it. Let's hang out together, let's live together, and let's enjoy our bodies together, but no, I don't want to commit to you, that's hard. These are small ideas and they make their way, yes, even into the church. In fact, I would argue that's almost where they start. Why? Again, demonic powers, if demonic powers can look at an enemy. And they've got limited time and resources, so they're looking, okay, should I attack the church that loves God and is advancing the cause, or should I attack the culture that doesn't even believe what God wants anyway? Where do you think they will focus their energies? You. Demonic powers attack you, and they attack the church, because if they can wound you, they've wounded any ability for the church to advance against the culture. We're not advancing against the culture in that we hate them. We're advancing towards them to push back against demonic powers to love and bless people. Because yes, marriage is hard, but marriage is beautiful. And marriage, guys, think about this. Why would demons attack marriage? Of all the ideas to attack, why don't they just leave it alone? There's a lot of other relationships to attack. Why consistently is marriage attacked by demonic powers in scripture? because marriage was patterned after the gospel. So if if demonic powers can affect me and wound my ability to sacrificially love my wife, then they've wounded the call of Christ that you will see in me. You should be able to see. Man, Tyler gives up a lot for his wife. I do, I don't buy myself stuff. I buy my wife stuff. I buy my kids stuff. Yesterday, Saturday, I had given a A a call to the gospel in fusion on Friday night. Stayed there till about 10, 30, 11 o'clock. I left, went home and slept. What did I want to do on Saturday? Nothing. What does my wife want to do on Saturday? A lot of stuff. She's like, we should clean. And I'm like, how about we don't? She's like, we should go hang out with the kids in the park. And I was like, or we could just sit at home. If my selfishness takes over, we stay home and I don't bless my wife, and I don't bless my kids, and I don't develop a family. So all Saturday, I had to say no, Tyler, you will not get what you want. You will not sit on your butt, you'll get up, you'll not be lazy, you'll love your wife, you'll love your kids, keep going. That's what I did Saturday. All of you, as you process relationships, and I sometimes I know you're like, just stop talking about marriage, move on to something else. It's that important, it is that important. I was just talking with a couple people today. Get married, have children, advance the cause. Don't sit there and it's like, man, I just really enjoy my free time, I enjoy my space. Well then good, stay single. Just knock yourself out. I'm not saying that singleness is bad, okay? I'm not arguing that. You've already, like listen to my sermon on 1 Corinthians seven. As we process this, where does your enemy come from? It's demonic powers, what are they targeting? Biblical ideas. So if you're sitting there and you're getting kind of scared, you're like, well, so, like, are the ideas going to invade my mind? No. They're presented to you very slowly, very quietly. How do you know if it's demonic or if it's, or if it's from the Lord? You'll find it in Scripture. What did they target? They targeted marriage. What else do they target? They're going to target grace. Jude says this, that they, meaning the, the ungodly individuals, perverted grace to make license for sin. Where are you seeing this? Everywhere. Your culture says if you feel it, it's a good thing and you should pursue it. You as the Christian know, Jeremiah says, the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. Don't trust it. Do you see how different those ideas are? Your culture is telling you, did you feel it? That overwhelming feeling of affection? Pursue it. And the Bible says, nah, I'd test it first because your heart's going to lie to you. You're like, man, I'm gonna do this thing because it felt really good. Like that must be from the Lord, right? If it feels good, God wants me to feel good, so let's keep going. And the Bible's like, and no. In fact, serving the Lord's gonna feel horrible often. So you need to advance towards what is real and good and true, not what feels good. If you're basing things on feeling, you'll never tithe again. If you're basing things on feeling, marriage is gonna suck. If you're basing things on feeling, your children will destroy you. If you're basing things on feeling, you'll never serve again. All of you that serve people, any of you that have given up time, energy, money for another human being, how easy was that? And I'm talking long-term. Like maybe one time you're like, wow, that felt really good. No, do it again a thousand times. Meet a young person and explain to them the gospel. Like I sat with a young fusion student, and she was like, how do you know that Jesus rose from the dead? I was like, sit down, girl, how much time do you got? We've got to process these deep ideas because people have questions. And we've got to do things that are hard and we've got to study and you've got to find some grit, some emotional strength. You're going to be tested. You're going to be tested in these things. Colossians 2, eight. It says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow or deceptive philosophy, meaning hollow or deceptive ideas you'll be presented with many bad ideas in your life. C.S. Lewis famously said, good philosophy must exist if for no other reason than because bad philosophy must be answered. He continues, he says, the learned life then is for some a responsibility. You have a responsibility not to be intellectually apathetic, You've got to grab onto ideas and so master them that you can then present them in clear ways to those that don't understand. The world is full of bad philosophy. Frank Turek, the the famous apologist, he says this, we as Christians are in a war with hollow and deceptive philosophies of our time. Relativism, religious pluralism, meaning any path leads to God. Nihilism, meaning life is meaningless. Naturalism, the only thing that's real is what you can see and measure. Scientism, critical theory, you name it. They are all out there, and our job as Christians, he says, is to give the world an alternative. So how do we do this? you got to learn to wrestle. You've got to learn to wrestle. Any of you wrestle growing up, junior high, high school, college? Okay, like two of you. <laughs> okay, so we've got some work to do. Let me read to you something. This is from Jude. This is the half-brother of Jesus. So I, I just feel for the guy. Imagine growing up with someone who's perfect, some of you are like, I know exactly what that's like. He says, dear friends, this is, this is the man that is so convinced that his brother's the son of God that he advances the church for him. It blows my mind. He says, I was eager to write to you about salvation that we share. However, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith. So here's Jude's desire. He's like, I want to write to you about salvation. Because that's beautiful, that Jesus, the Son of God, would die for you and rise again, and you could be in relationship. However, here's what the church needed more than a lesson on salvation. He goes, I need to urge you to contend for good ideas. I need you to contend for the faith. Here's a, a message on contend. This is Dr. D. Edmund Hybert In his exposition on Jude, he says, the simple form of the verb I which appears in English as agonize, was commonly used in connection with the Greek stadium to denote a strenuous struggle to overcome an opponent as in a wrestling match. It was also used more generally of any conflict, contest, debate, or lawsuit. Involved is the thought of the expenditure of all of one's energy in order to prevail. Look look at Here's what I need to have happen in all of you. So the word he says, contend, that's your English word, to agonize. I want you to agonize for the faith. What does that mean and what does it lead to practically? To agonize is to think on something so much that it causes your brain to hurt, like your heart to hurt. However, agonizing, thinking on something repeatedly leads to energy, it empowers you which then leads to service, which then leads to change. I've said this before, but Bill Heibels, a pastor in, in Chicago, he has since retired, he says this, every great movement of ministry or, or human advancement has started with a beautiful dream or a holy frustration. Every single movement of good has started with a beautiful dream or a holy frustration. You need to think about what bugs you you need to look at the world and then process what about it is wrong and what do I need to stop or change? Like As, as I looked at Friday, for, Friday for those of you that don't know, we run a, a bunch of different ministries at this church. Fusion is one of them. It's to our junior hires in this city. And what was amazing to me is JP, its leader, got really, really, really sick and he couldn't, he, he couldn't show up. So he starts sending mad texts and he's like, guys, I'm not showing up. I need you to step up because we've got over 130 junior hires showing up to hang out and they need to hear the gospel, they need to be protected, and they need to have some fun. So I need you to step up. So Isaiah Dressel steps up, leads the team, never been in an upper level position of leadership before, but he goes, I'm in, I got you. The rest of the fusion team was like, don't worry about it, JP, we're in. Everyone around the table, like we didn't miss a beat. I'm just sitting there like happy and along for the ride. I was like, knock yourselves out. This is incredible. And I asked Isaiah, I was like, why do you do what you do? Like, what, what brought you into ministry? Where are you getting your passion from? He goes, Tyler, the one thing that I hate is when a young person has questions and there's no one there to disciple them. They wanna learn about Jesus, but there's no systems in place. There, there's no people to guide them. And so then they back away from the faith, not because they don't like it, but because no one was there to say, I got you. If you've gone, if you've gone to this church for a number of years, You're so stupid spoiled it's not even funny because if you scan the rest of the churches throughout even our nation, what we have done with junior high and high school ministry is unlike anything I've ever seen. Every single student in every semester or in every grade level each semester has one-on-ones multiple times. Who are you? What's your name? What are you struggling with? How can I pray for you? What do you wanna learn about Jesus? Where are we going? What's your vision? Every single one of them. And so I looked at Isaiah and here's the thing that bugs him when there's no discipleship. He's like, why am I here? Because kids need to learn about Jesus. Every single Wednesday, I see multiple of you serving our young people. I see Liz, I see Ashley, I see Andrew, I see a, a host of others. And what's crazy is that as I'm watching them hang out with my kids, they're like, let's learn about Jesus. Here's a verse, like, let, let's memorize it together. And these kids, as cute as they are, botch the verse. Just like absolutely wreck it. And, and you young adults are like, oh my gosh, you were so close. Come on. Like go again. Wednesday night is my children's favorite night of the week by far. So my kids are falling in love with Jesus because you're putting in extra effort. If you weren't there, Awana wouldn't happen. And all of the people that are there are saying the same thing. I'm here because they need me to be. And I will listen to the verse that's botched until they get it right and it sounds beautiful. And I'm not gonna get mad at them, I'm not gonna get impatient with them. Right, you never get impatient, you're all perfect. But you sit and you listen, and, and guys, this is what I'm talking about. What, like scan your mind for a second, scan the world. What do you hate about it? And hate in a righteous way. What is happening in this world that infuriates you? And this is where you need to agonize. This is where you've got to think what, like when I look at scripture, if scripture is the, the funnel by which I'm going to put through all ideas and then I'm going to put the world through it, what's getting stuck? Here's one, slavery. And this is where Gary Haugen got stuck. Gary Haugen is the man that created International Justice Mission, and he was a human rights or, or c- civil rights lawyer for the U.N., And so he would process crimes committed by corrupt police. And he was tasked by the UN to go to Rwanda after the genocide to process how are we going to rebuild this nation with justice. So he gets there, and he was already fascinated with justice, but he didn't know how bad the problem was. And so he gets there, and he realizes there are more slaves in the world today than there have been the entirety of humanity. And he goes, this is it. This is it. This cannot stand. And so in, in uh, I think it was 1991 or 1997, one of those, he goes, I, I need to do something about this. So he sat on it and he agonized. So here's, here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to sit and get frustrated. What do I think God is asking you to do? He says, I want you to contend. That means to grab a bad idea and wrestle it to the ground and beat it to death. Okay, I'm not... I'm not calling for physical violence. I'm calling wrestle horrible ideas to the ground and beat them into submission, agonize, get frustrated. Get frustrated that little kids are growing up and they wanna hear about Jesus and no one's there for them. Get frustrated that there's more slaves in the world than ever. Get frustrated that there's evil dictators brutalizing women and children. Get angry. Something should bug you and you all know what bugs me. It's when young adults have no passion and no purpose and don't care, and they're on the verge of suicide because their future doesn't matter. You are the reason that I get up in the morning because I want you to get excited. I want you to fall in love with the word again. I don't want you to open and go, oh my gosh, this doesn't make sense. All right, then let's make it make sense. Let's bring clarity. Why do I have passion? Because you are the number one age group to leave the church and I'm turning that stat around. We're pulling you in. Because I've sat and I've stared at college campuses and I've agonized. Why do we agonize? Because it builds energy. It builds you up. Because so, here's the problem. We've been taught that if it's uncomfortable, we don't like it, we move away. We've been taught by culture that if there's agonizing thoughts, we run from them. But here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to realize that this is a good thing. I need you to find things in life that bug you and make you unbelievably angry, and I need you to go solve them. Build energy, get excited, because why do we need this? Because other people will quit on you. I tell this to our guys, um, the guys that pray with me at Willamette on Tuesdays. I'm like, guys, we gotta keep praying for energy. We gotta keep praying for, for, for passion and for wisdom, because Willamette needs us to not quit on them. We can't quit. We gotta keep praying. Even if we pray for months and we see nothing change, we're still in. Willamette bugs me in the most beautiful, holy, righteous way. I've gotta get on that campus. I need them. I need those students. And so we're praying. And that's gonna move you to service and then that's when there's change. The problem is too many of us quit before we even reach step one because it's scary and we get tired and so we stop. We need to contend, agonizing leads to energy, energy leads to service and service leads to change. But how, how do we fight? What does it look like? Three things, intelligence, respect and prayer. This is how you fight. So let's go back through some of our scriptures because some of you are like, all right, I'm in, we're gonna fight and I'm just gonna go intellectually throttle people and it's like, whoa, 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 come back, come back. Like you misheard me, you misheard me. We're not going out to hurt people. Number one, intelligence. You need to be aware of what you believe because scripture clearly says, it says, don't be deceived. How do we not be deceived? Well, it would help if you knew what a trap looked like. If you don't know what you actually believe, you're not gonna know what a false belief is. Some people get so overwhelmed with apologetics because they think that they've gotta learn everything about all the other faiths and all the other bad ideas. No, don't study those. Study good ideas so that you can easily refute bad ones. Don't get overwhelmed, study scripture. Study philosophy, good philosophy by God honoring individuals. Learn how to think. Learn how to think well and ask good questions. It says in 2 Peter 1.5, add to your faith knowledge, for if you do this it will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your walk with Christ. Scripture is unapologetic, it says go learn. Go learn, go build your knowledge base. Don't be like, well, you know, I went to Sunday school a few times. Like, oh, I I listen to Tyler once a week. Guys, I love that you're here, but this isn't enough. When when people start getting bored with their faith, I suggest two things, one of two things, or just both, service and study. So if you're sitting there, you've been a Christian for a long time, but you gotta admit, you're like, I'm kind of bored. I don't really know where I'm going. I don't have a lot of passion. It's not that I don't believe in Jesus, but I'm just, I'm bored. Here's what I say to you find something that you don't know and learn about it. Again, find something that bugs you and process how to solve it. We will get nowhere if the only thing you know how to do is scan the world and go, that's bad, that's bad, that's bad. I'm going to go take a nap. Like that does nothing. For you to process and start praying and go, Lord, I see a number of things that are wrong. Help me not get overwhelmed and point me in a direction. Because guys, that's You've got to learn to do that no matter what, whether you're single, married. Like, I'm processing that as a dad because the Bible calls my children arrows. You are arrows to your parents. Arrows are designed to be shot at a target. We don't stare at arrows and go, wow, this is a really good looking weapon. I'm just going to put it on the table. No, you notch your arrow and you shoot it. So, for some of you, your parents never taught you this. So, you're, you're, you're processing all of this for the first time. You're like, I, I, I don't even know where to go because no one ever aimed you. No one ever taught you. So you've gotta learn how to pray. You've gotta learn how to discern. You've gotta learn how to submit to authority and then you gotta learn how to pick a target. You're gonna need to learn how to do this. Grow in knowledge. Here was the next one, respect. First Peter three fifteen. It says, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have, next verse. But do this with gentleness and respect. So here's the thing, I know plenty of people, I've grown up in the church, and some people, their spirit language is arguing. Their, their love language is arguing. And so they look at the world, they're like, I'm just gonna like, absolutely obliterate you. And I'm just, I don't know why God doesn't take those people out, because he's like, you're making me look bad. So, so go away. Guys, let, let me read to you another one. This one's even more clear. This is 2 Timothy 2. Opponents to your ideas must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. Opponents must be gently instructed. There's an Indian proverb that says, don't cut off a man's nose and ask him to smell a rose. If we're running out and we're going, Mormonism is dumb. Hey, wanna hear about the gospel? It's like, shut up. Like no one would listen. If someone came to you and they're like, Christianity is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Here's a good idea. I I don't care who you are, you're like, I'm not listening. We don't win by insulting people. We don't win by intellectually beating them up. We win through intelligence and respect, and again, most importantly, prayer. Let me read 2, 2 Timothy 2 again. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that what? God will grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. This gives me so much hope because the thing that gives you and me anxiety is the idea that we're the ones that turn around minds, that we're the ones that convince people of Jesus. And here's what Paul is saying, you you don't, friends. You give them your testimony, you give them your answers and then you get out of the way. It is God that transforms these minds For you to come to a saving faith in Jesus was a a supernatural event and it will be for everyone that you love. And so here's the thing. If you're building anxiety because you're like, I don't have the answers. I don't have the answers. It's like, slow down. You're, You're already starting on the wrong foot. You must begin in prayer. Yes, go study. Yes, be respectful when you talk to people. But if there's someone that you want to come to Jesus, are you praying for them? And I mean every day. Because... As I told the Fusion students, eternity is real. I know that that's not a popular idea, but heaven is real and hell is real. And that's what's hanging in the balance. So for you and me to ignore this, for you and me to think that we're the ones that gotta convince them, it's like, stop, come back. What you need to learn first is how to pray. So here's here's all that we've said. Apologetics is for you a responsibility. If you've ignored it, it's time to get in the game. You are to be reactive and proactive in this game, answering questions and advancing the gospel in dark places, okay? You with me, you understand that one? So for some of you, here's your homework. I need you not to freak out, but if you're like, I don't know where to go, I don't know what I care about, I don't know what's wrong that I need to fix, and you're already freaking out. It's like, again, slow down. Gary Haugen didn't find his why, he didn't find what he needed to do until he had already graduated law school, He'd already been working for the UN for years, and then he went and started IJM. Some of you need to be developed a little further before God gives you your why. So here's what I want you praying. Lord, would you be developing me? Would you prepare me so that I'm ready when you call me to whatever that vision is? And don't worry that it doesn't happen this week. Don't freak out. Some of you, God's got to grow you a little bit because he's got a fight so big that if he revealed it to you right now, you'd pee your pants. You'd be like, no, I'm out. And God's like, that's exactly why I didn't tell you. So I got to develop you first and then I'm going to launch you. So what do we do? We submit to the design of the church. We stay together, we stay in fellowship, we keep learning, we keep growing, we keep worshiping, we keep fellowshipping, we keep encouraging one another, we keep asking good questions, we jump into philosophy, we debate a little bit, and that scares some of you, but we gotta do it so that we stay sharp and we're ready to help a world with intelligence and respect and prayer. We gotta contend, we gotta agonize. Next week, arguments for the existence of God. Easy topic, come next week and watch me botch it. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this great, great day. I pray that if anyone came in here or anyone listening online that doesn't have hope, would you fill them with hope? Some of them have so sat, they've sat so long in bad ideas that they don't know how to look into the future and have any hope. There's no excitement in them for this game. They're just like, oh, when is it over? but I pray that you would fill them with energy and courage. For everyone here that that is, they're in, they want that vision, they just don't have it yet, give them patience. Give them patience to develop with you, that they would know where to go in the right time. Give us patience until you reveal that to each of us. I pray for protection for everyone, God, for everyone that's jumping into dead week. Give them energy, help them not quit. Help them think about what this is leaning towards. Their education is pointing somewhere. Give them energy, give them courage. And those that are in finals week, God, would you give them just supernatural education? Would you help them remember things they didn't even study and help them get incredible grades and just keep advancing themselves? I pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys so much for coming. We'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in to The Garage Podcast. We hope the message has made you think deeper about faith and will strike up new conversations as you go about your week. If you want to hear more messages like this, make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Have a great week.